Welcome back to the Sound Weavers podcast. As always, I am your harping host, Dr. Rosanna Moore. And today, I don't have a co-pilot because we have three out of four members from the Frame Ensemble. They are a quartet based in the north of the UK who improvise music to silent films. So this is a uh, pretty cool and pretty new thing for the podcast. We've not had a group like this before. So today we are joined by Johnny Best, who is the pianist, Trevor Bartlett, who is actually one of my best friends in the whole world and one of my chamber music partners, who is the percussionist, and Irene, who is the violinist. So welcome, guys. Thank you so much for coming on our little show today. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having us. So as I've already mentioned at the beginning, this is a bit of a first for us as the podcast because you are an all-improvising group. We've had folk groups, we've had jazz groups, we've had Balinese gamelan groups, which all have an element of improvisation, but not quite to the extent that your group has. Could you tell us a little bit about how you started playing together and then how do you coordinate playing along with a film? We got together because we uh, were all sort of circulating around silent film performance in Yorkshire. Um, I run Yorkshire Silent Film Festival um, and Irene, uh, Irene started to play with me there and Trevor and I, we got together to play for Leeds Film Festival, didn't we, about six years ago, I think. We've been doing it ever since, haven't we? And, um, uh, Irina, you, you you played uh, at the Yorkshire Silent Film Festival with me, and then um, and then Liz joined the festival, and we played in various combinations before we we came together as a as a quartet. And the first the first thing we played together, I think, was was Metropolis, was for Science Metropolis in 2018, which is a big old film to start with. But um, it was, I mean, in a way, it was something of an experiment to see what we could do, to see how it would work if. If if we did this, um, we'd we you know we've done hours of improvising, you know many hundreds of hours independently and in various combinations in in uh, all kinds of settings and and styles. So we knew we could make two hours of noise together. There's something a little bit sort of daredevilly and fun about the quartet, which is we put ourselves in. Every film is a new situation. Have a little chat about it. Establish a few little pointers about sound world and story, and then play. Importantly, compared to a lot of previous uh, groups that we've had, you've all pieced yourselves together after graduation as well. You haven't all been friends in college who started playing together. You've actually sort of found yourselves whilst in the profession. So lovely and wonderful listeners, it does happen. You just have to find your people. And that's a really important thing with just chamber music in general. It's just finding love working. So to talk about improvising in general, now, most classical musicians kind of get a little freaked out when you use the word improvisation. So can you each tell me how you started improvising and then how did you start improvising as a group? I think I started quite a, perhaps a decade ago, just improvising on my own. And then um, I spent a few years in Chicago being... Um, 
around, you know, all the excellent jazz musicians. And I was rather inspired to pushing myself, improvising even, um, you know, in different settings. And then um, as a contemporary music performer that uh, gradually became a part of my kind of everyday existence. Uh, improvising to silent movies uh, was a new thing uh, when I first met, met Johnny. I found myself kind of in between almost identities. You know, it is kind of partially fitting into the historically informed performance practice uh, and also bringing my own identity as a contemporary player uh, and playing with the piano. Um, so it was all kind of in between uh, all kinds of places, all kinds of sounds. Um, but what was speaking to me is exactly that freedom I could, you know, explore further. And uh, the difference in sound production between the piano and the violin and me being able to shape the sound from within and uh, treat it as a, as a means for communication discussing various characters and how what what role does the piano can take uh, what is the violin you know and then further we developed it as a group with uh, uh, it is uh, it is a very special type of practice a very special type of improvising which is of course very much in service of the of the historic cinema uh, but also you know with us being as contemporary livers contemporary people, we bring uh, something very different. And Johnny, how did you get into improvising? My improvising began when I was a kid, really, because I, I had, um, I was lucky in my piano teachers, my first piano teacher, um, where I grew up in Grimsby uh, on the, the northeast coast of, of England. But he was a big band pianist. He was also a brilliant classical pianist and, uh, and um, you know, an FRCO organist. He's a, he's a great musician, but he didn't approve of doing grades or learning um, you know, conventionally. So at every lesson he would he would ask me what I wanted to play and I'd tell him and he'd scribble it down and it might be a song or something and he would encourage me to make things up. He was a crazy, wonderful um, piano teacher. And my second, he don't, I didn't, wasn't with him for long. He, um, he, he, he went on tour uh, performing. But my next piano teacher was a, another great improviser. He was a church organist. He was a very good pianist. He, was a, 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 he had his own jazz quartet. He was a session musician, so he was a very practical musician. So I've always, until I went to chess, until I went to Cheatham School of Music, I was always working with piano teachers who were really practical musicians and, and whom the idea that you only play the notes in front of you would just never, never cross their mind. I mean, it was, that wasn't for them what, what music was about. So we used to do classical, classical work and proper piano training, but at the same time, it was just part of the menu. So um, I was a church organist. I did a lot of theatre music and I began my career as a musician in West End theatre, working in musicals, working um, uh, as, an, as an MD on some new musicals. So I was, I was always working in circumstances where you're thinking on your feet and cobbling things together and making stuff up and adapting and adapting to what's happening in the room and the needs of a story. So you have alluded to this uh, a little bit uh, before as uh, this being quite a niche uh, section of music making, but also um, performance practice in some ways. 
Are there any modern silent films out there, or is this kind of a time capsule, the type of performance? There are occasional um, modern silent films. There are, um, in the sort of commercial realm, they crop up very, very occasionally. I mean, The Artist was the big, the big example of that 10 years ago, but that was very much sort of a sort of pastiche of a 20s silent film. It, it, there isn't much, no, very, very little. Uh, so, no, it's may, you're mainly working with uh, moving image that was shot from sort of 1895 through to uh, 1935. Um, and most of the, the British and American silent films, they tended to, the latest of those tend to be sort of 1929, 1930 at a pinch. And there's still silent films we made in Japan in 1935. Um, I don't think of it as a time capsule. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why, because um, when you were with moving image that was created, um, in the first decades of the 20th century, you are in the presence of what was a brand new technology. A lot of what is happening in, in the first four decades of cinema that makes it so interesting and exciting to spend time with is that the potential for this technology is being discovered film after film, you know, filmmaker after filmmaker, whether it's um, the experiments with, with um, various kinds of effects, with with colour, with with how to tell a story, with whether to tell a story. I mean, some films are not about the story at all entirely. So you've got a, a sort of energy that, that runs through this work that is comparable really to the kind of thing you might find today in virtual reality. It's we're not, we're not, it's not nostalgic going back to these films. You're going back to a time when all of this was new. And it's the newness for me that brings this, this stuff alive. That's why I love these films. The question is, what do we do with that musically? Um, we're in a sort of interesting position in that we are musicians who are, we're serving an audience as well as a film. And we are part of a, a social um, interaction between audience and film and musicians. So we do want the film to work in the most effective way for the audience. And so we are always thinking, what does this film need? What could we do with this film? What does this film, what's the thing we really have to land in order to make this film really work? You know, um, What's the story? What what's what do we want the audience to feel? What's the you know? So we there's all sorts of questions, and the audience is a big part of those questions and how we we answer them. It's very much about it's almost like being a it's almost like a musical commentary on the film. We sort of with a with a connective tissue between the moving image, um, which in some cases is 100 or 110 years old um, or even more, and the audience here and now in this place with us, you know, we, 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 we join it up. So talking about these films being, being a little older, um, they are obviously from a time in our history where perhaps we held different values and there are perhaps some slightly more problematic things for a modern audience. How do you deal with these uh, with an audience? Uh, is there something that you have a trigger warning at the beginning or is there sort of a talk about, we know that it's not okay to, for example, demonize certain ethnicities as the villain uh, or, <laughs> or any number of things, blackface, yellowface, any of those things. Um, how do you deal with that with a modern audience while still presenting the art, but explaining that obviously this isn't okay in our sensibilities to be honest i think i should take that one because really that is um only partly to do with us as musicians that's mainly a question at the stage of programming films of choosing which films we play um and sometimes we are asked we are sometimes asked mm -hmm. to do films by 
festivals, whatever. But a lot of the stuff we do, um, I do quite a lot of film selection. I propose films to the, to the quartet. I program a fairly large scale um, region-wide festival um, of life scored silent films. So I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, about these issues. There's, um, there are no hard and fast rules. And um, you are, you're absolutely correct. When you, I mean, the way I look at it is when you, when you um, stick a camera up at the world in 1915, you record 1915, you get what 1915 is, is like. And there are times when that is, that can be quite shocking. Um, there are films that I, I don't want to program because I, um, the casual racism in them, um, for example, is for me, they'd only be of interest if we were doing an event looking at, at um, the question, looking uh, critically at the question of race and racism in, in early film. Um, so it, it depends what, what you're offering the film up as and how it's framed. I mean, if um, I was watching a, a wonderful, uh, what started off as a wonderful um, Buster Keaton, uh, a, a short comedy, in, not directed by Buster Keaton, but in which he, he, he was playing. Halfway through was a, a scene that was um, essentially the bullying of, uh, of a young black man in a, in a Western saloon. And everyone was and on screen was laughing at him and and um, physically abusing him. And Buster Keaton was doing it too. And there's it was only, it's only a couple of minutes in this 20 minute film, but there's nothing there's nothing you can do with that. There's no there's no way of framing that saying, oh, you know, it, it's I have no interest in offering that up as as entertainment today. So there are there are, there are some places there's some places, you know, you know, yeah, there's some things I don't, I don't want to screen. I mean, uh, we, there, there, there are going to be a couple of films I'm sharing next year that will have content warning um, because they're they're very interesting. That that's um, very much looking at the, the films that are ex that do depict truths about um, racial politics um, of the 1910s and 1920s, um, and there are going to be some content warnings there. Just. Just, you know, I, I don't want to go around offending people. I also don't want to treat people like children. So somewhere between, somewhere between those, those two extremes. How do you all prepare for a run of performances? Do you rehearse together? Do you watch the films on your own first? Do you have your popcorn moment of, I'm going to watch this film and then uh, sit down with your instruments? Do you make notes? Can you just talk me through the process of how you do it? We've, we've actually done it in a variety of different ways. Uh, there have definitely been films where the four of us or just working with with Johnny the two of us have got together we've sat and we've had a, a screening of the film just for ourselves for rehearsal purposes and we've tried to play through it and then we'll pick out different scenes and we'll talk about where we might go musically with one scene and what we might do with another scene we've also had films where the four of us have perhaps never seen the film until it's on, it starts, there's an audience there and we play and we're seeing it absolutely for the first time along with the audience and we're trying to connect what we see on screen to the audience through the music at our first time of seeing it as well. Can you talk about the uh, the booking of yourselves then. When you're booked for a festival, are you booked just as frame? Because I, I know when I was chatting to Trev a few weeks ago when he was at uh, one, of, uh, one of the festivals that you were all doing, uh, there was a mixture of you did something as frame and then a couple of you did another film, another couple of you did another film, so that it wasn't you all playing for like 13 hours a day. <laughs> 
uh, how, how do you decide that? So when, when we perform in smaller groups, we're not, um, we don't call ourselves frame. It's so it's sort of, so Johnny and Arena, we did a film, uh, we did a film a ago, we did a, a one for Japanese film, it's just me and Arena playing, and Trevor and I do do things together, but we've we've decided that we're we're going to be frame only when it's the four of us. And can I can I just say that our fourth member who's not here, and I should have mentioned her properly before, is a wonderful cellist called Liz Hanks, and she's based in Sheffield, and she's an amazing musician. Um, and she couldn't be with us for this podcast, but so it's only when we're all all together, uh, Liz, Arena, Trevor, and Johnny. That's that's frame. There's some silent film that's presented essentially by music organisations. Um, um, and there's some silent film which is presented essentially by cinema organisations or, you know, or, or theatres doing a bit of cinema. Um, and when you work with cinemas, they say they don't have enough money for a quartet. And they're certainly, you know, they are used to, to booking a pianist. And if they're going to really splash out, they might go for piano and percussion. But within the sort of value system of cinemas, the idea of a quartet is a little bit odd for them. If it's a big cinema, they might at some point, you know, do a silent film with an orchestra. But it's, uh, whereas if you're working within a, when we work within a music venue, it's it's quite a bit easier. So we worked at uh, one or two classical music venues in the North for whom working with a quartet is very, very ordinary. So um, there are a lot of film festivals who simply would never hire a quartet because they just they just want to book a pianist what one of the things we're, we're doing is trying to be is trying to take the initiative and produce our own work there are films we want to play there are places we want to play and so what we've done is put together um projects with a series of venues that that um they're interested and we've then pitched those to arts council to arts council england for some subsidy that comes to us to enable us to offer the work for a much reduced price, which enables us to, to work more widely. Because the, the economics are quite punishing. When, um, when a film itself, you have to pay, you know, the film costs to screen. They may be old films, but they don't come cheaply. And sometimes they're more expensive to screen than modern films. And when you add everything in together, it's difficult to do quartet plus film um, uh, without uh, having some subsidy in the mix as well. Back to alluding to something uh, earlier in the podcast, uh, you have mentioned that uh, the silent film community is a little small and perhaps uh, perhaps doesn't do the best to attract new audiences. So how would you as a group like to try and get people more involved in the silent film community? And do you think that perhaps comes uh, in the form of education and community engagement work? And if so, what would that look like for you? Well, it, it certainly is something that we, as a quartet, are aware of, and something that we've talked about quite regularly when when we're working. Certainly, with the Yorkshire Silent Film Festival, we we have been for um, all day events where we put on three, four, five different film showings throughout the day, um, and something that we have as a quartet discussed recently is how do we get younger audiences in how do we get families in and can we sort of bill some of those events as i actually advertise them as family events and everyone still loves your classic comedies your laurel and hardy your charlie chaplin everyone loves buster keaton comedy films 
and so it's something that we have talked about can we market that and advertise that as family films to try and draw families and younger audiences in and get them involved and educated in the silent film world and, and once they're in they might then move go on and discover other silent films that they would never have had the opportunity to do, to discover before just one more note um we're also extremely fortunate having uh, having a home in sheffield and uh, it is a community that is gradually growing and uh, of course we're very extremely happy to be there and uh, we noticed that you know with the uh, year after year we receive more audiences and it is really you know when um, very few people are exposed to uh, improvised music for silent films and um, to our you know we're so we're so happy to see that more people are coming uh, as soon as they learn that it is a thing, you know, there are people doing it and uh, uh, it is a wonderful experience and we um, we keep people who, you know, first come and then uh, it is a gradually uh, a growing community. Mm. Because you have started yourself as an ensemble, I actually wondered if you could talk about the administrative tasks. Is that something that one of you shoulders most of it or is it something that all of you are starting to take turns with for example running social media running website getting bookings etc uh, is that something that you've thought about or is it um still an ever-growing process we're actually quite young although you know we although we played our first film in 2018 when you add covid into that of course we've um we are fledgling really um so i've done the admin because i've you know been producing arts events and um running organizations and doing arts council bids for you know 20 years so um i've tended to do that for us i think because we we emerged as a quartet through all being part of yorkshire sana film festival which is the festival that i that i run um so the the work that we've done as frame i've tended to to administrate that and try to um, sort of make opportunities for us to play together and 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 work it out financially and and broker things with with venues because I'm doing that for the wider festival, you know. So I'm I'm producing a program of live scored silent film um, uh, across Yorkshire up into the northwest, working with um, with uh, sort of heritage cinemas, theatres, music venues, uh, community venues, village halls. So. Um, it makes sense for what we do as frame to be dovetailed into that. Um, but we are we are actually looking at the moment at um, Arena. We're, we're looking at a Norwegian project, aren't we? Which is going to see you do some grant writing. Yes, um, the Norwegian uh, Library Archive um, that I came across, uh, and they have lots of spectacular material for for us to to work with and um so we're exploring some possibilities there one of the things we, we've talked about with each other and thought about individually is how do we want frame to fit into our overall individual lives uh what role is it going to play in the sort of combination of things that we do professionally and the answer for each of us is a little different i think um we, we all have different other different kinds of things going on I mean, I, I know we, we don't have an ambition for Frame to be 
um, anything like a full-time thing. It's uh, it's one element of of our sort of you know we each have a blend of things we do. We're we're sort of inching towards finding a, a sort of happy place where we're doing enough work to feel like we are continuing to to grow as an ensemble. From someone who has been in the U.S. for a long time, the U.S. is very much you get the big job and the job pays for everything and that's it. And let's be honest, part of the reason why we started this podcast is. We realized when the pandemic hit, people who just played in orchestras, there was no shame against orchestras. Orchestral playing is wonderful, but they got hit really hard because everything disappeared. And not every orchestral player has a teaching studio and plays in chamber music and all those things. You kind of have to, I love the aim in the UK of having a portfolio career. It's something I have always aimed for. And I've always been given funny looks in the US for wanting a little bit of everything. So it's it's really good to sort of hear a group actually say no we love doing this we like it being a part of our careers but we like doing other things as well absolutely I, I think really that is one of the biggest appeals as players to us with what we do is it it is that freeness and that sort of refreshing sense of we turn up we play and whatever happens happens like there's no going back there's no turning back time and sort of oh just just stop the recording there and we'll, we'll just go back and we'll do that bit one more time because I wasn't happy with what I played there. What Once it's played, once it's done, that, that sound, that, that music is out there. Um, and for me, I think that's one of the biggest appeals with what we do as an improvising quartet. So I am going to finish up with something short and sweet. Uh, for all of you, if you could play along to any film or any play even silent or not what would it be and why there's a film that i would love us to do as a quartet i um i um i love it when we play something long and immersive because you know the way that at a, you know if you're at a long opera with a, with a your symphony as a listener or as a player you you lose your mooring with with the world out there and you you go further into the work and that's and I, I find that with improvising as well so it's great playing like a three-hour film because you just you know and then at the end of it you're sort of thinking oh my god where are we um I want to do there's a there's a huge um four-part uh French silent film I, I'm not sure what year it's on it's about 1917 1918 of Les Miserables um by a filmmaker called a filmmaker called Henri Fécourt and it's um it's long it's it's I think it totals about nine hours and it's yes, it's the it's one of the ring cycles of silent film, and I I would love us to do that one day. I very much agree. I think it's uh, it, it is incredible to immerse ourselves into the sound world and into the screen. I love long trashed films. Metropolis is amazing, and uh, I think it really suits us. It gets the best out of us. It's uh, quite quite a film, and uh, there is nothing like it really. Uh, I'm going to be very boring and, and absolutely agree. A, a, a lot of the films that we play are sort of an hour, an hour and a half in length. But I, as a player, I think some of my fondest memories of films that we've done have been like the long epics. Uh, Johnny and myself, we, we did a few performances of uh, both Battleship Potemkin and Ben-Hur. And they were just films that you'd, you you get lost in watching the film yourself as a musician and you hear the music going on and sometimes I forget that I'm actually 
playing and making the music because you you just get absolutely lost in in what's happening in the room at the time both with the screen and and the music and it is just a completely immersive experience that's a so once again, dear listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with your solo host today and three quarters of the Frame Ensemble. Now you can check out all of their socials and their website down in the show notes. And we hope that if uh, if you are ever in the UK when they are performing, uh, specifically in Yorkshire, but all over the place, do go and check them out. And we hope that as the world opens up, they'll be able to do some international touring soon. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweavers podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other major podcast platforms. We hope that you'll visit us at www.soundweaverscast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundweaverscast and on Twitter at SWChambercast, where you'll get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordell. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweavers team. On behalf of the Soundweavers cast, see you in two weeks.